humans, welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. We're your hosts, Lauren and Adam. We dive headfirst into conversations breaking down things like religion and purity culture, sex, spirituality, and the world around us. Although we now consider ourselves to be somewhere between agnosticism and mystical atheism, we often speak from our experiences from our time spent in the Christian music industry and religious upbringing. We bring on a variety of guests to hear their story and help demystify topics that we were once taught to fear or ignore, expanding the lenses through which we see the world. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Reverend Brandon Robertson. He is a noted author, progressive Christian minister, activist, and public theologian working at the intersections of spirituality, sexuality, and social renewal. Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Woohoo! <laughs> so excited to have you. And um, I know you were just mentioning that you'd been following us for a little while and we've been following you for a little while so always you know finally getting to connect with somebody is really fun for us it's basically why we love doing the podcast because mm-hmm. we just get to connect with so many amazing and, and beautiful people in this way totally yeah this past year or two i've seen like this deconstruction exvangelical world grow and grow and grow and so there's yeah. so many folks out there doing great things but yeah like i said i've seen the work of this podcast in the past year and uh, just all the great people you've been talking to as well. So Aww. it really is an honor to be with you all. Oh, thank you so much. And you just started a podcast, right? Is that tied with a, the your church that uh, we were like looking into everything? So tell us what's going on with your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, if you can figure out what's going on in my life, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You said saving hundreds on therapist bills. <laughs> yeah, but essentially I've been, I mean, I've been podcasting since 2009. And at some form, I've had a podcast since then. In the past like five years, I've gotten really bad at it. And so um, I've had this thing called the Metanoia podcast for the past three years, yeah. um, but have posted maybe like one episode every two months, which is no way to keep uh, a podcast going. <laughs> but uh, as you mentioned, this this Sunday, we're kind of starting an experiment that I've been working on for the past year, um, launching a completely digital church. I was pastoring a church in San Diego mm-hmm. until 2020. And then during the pandemic, I realized that I kind of gained this following on TikTok and we were having really deep conversations and we were going into Zoom Bible studies where hundreds of people would show up. And I was like, wow. why do I need to be in a geographical location? Why do I need to deal with all the things I'm dealing with as a pastor when I can pour into this digital community and get rid of all of the financial headaches and all of that? Mm-hmm. And so finally, uh, this Sunday, we're launching our first service. We have 350 folks signed up, which is bigger than the congregation I had in San Diego. Wow. So I'm really stoked about that. So uh, cool. And yeah, just getting the chance to do a live church service on Zoom. And then we're taking uh, the sermon portion of that and turning it into a podcast. So yeah, yeah. I uh, definitely get that experience. Um, I run production and video and all sorts of content stuff for a progressive church here in Nashville. And uh, we navigated something very similar coming into into um 
you know, everything that is the pandemic and trying to figure out what it looks like to transition out of physical spaces and reading each other's energy and being around people that we connect with um, conversationally and just like seeing people and transitioning to a space where it's, you don't necessarily get to see each other, but you still get to feel each other in a different way and you get to connect with people intimately through spaces that maybe wouldn't be available to you if you were just tied to something that was a physical location. So I definitely love the value that you're bringing to people and in creating that pathway for people to be able to connect because it's definitely so needed and so valuable. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. And frankly, it's just, there's also a selfish side that after not being in a church for two years on Sunday morning, it's like, I don't know if I ever want to go back to a having to get out of uh, my pajamas on Sunday morning. So this <laughs> virtual church is so much better. I'm so excited. Valid, valid. That's, I, I totally, I agree with you. I love my Sunday yeah. mornings <laughs> in my pajamas. Um, I love it so much. I actually, I truly treasure it. And it's something you don't realize, like, I mean, and maybe you do. Um, but yeah, I, I went my whole life going to church and I just, I, I kind of envied people who had two day weekends. <laughs> um and so yeah now I, that I don't I'm not a part of any church I do get to stay in my pajamas which is nice but of course if you do digital church you can stay in your pajamas too so yeah it's a I can give up one hour sitting in my bed uh, at church that's absolutely <laughs> good sacrifice for Jesus <laughs> absolutely there you go doing it for the Lord yes yes so okay tell us a little bit um of your background, your story, um, I were you raised to be a progressive Christian minister, or um, yeah, what was your what was your uh, faith and religion in childhood? Tell us everything. Tell us all the things. Okay, so we'll be here for four hours. Here we go. No, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's fine. We can cut but, it down. That's fine. <laughs> but seriously, yeah, I was. Uh, I actually grew up non-religious in uh, in Maryland, but in a kind of lower class community. I was raised in a, a trailer park with uh, an abusive alcoholic father, kind of that whole story. And I, I've met so many people in our, our space that have similar backgrounds, mm -hmm. but come from that world. And it was really around the age of 12 that I found myself completely mentally broken down. Um, I was having panic attacks every day in school. I was suicidal. Life was really at a not great place for a 12 year old. Um, and it was all related to identity issues. And like I said, uh, having an abusive father who was verbal, physical abuse all the time and just wore away at my soul. And a few houses up from us, there were these very strange religious people. Um, and they were <laughs> really strange, frankly. I mean, they had uh, homeschooled, they didn't have a TV, they only listened to Christian radio, very weird people uh, for our community. But I became best friends with their daughters and like good Christians, they invite me to go to church with them. And I honestly went because I thought it was a cool opportunity to get out of the trailer park on a Sunday. Um, but then after attending church for a month or two, I had what I used to talk about as a conversion experience. But what I now really have realized was I just really encountered God through the power of loving community. Mm. Um, today, I would say that church, I mean, it was a fundamentalist Baptist church, had terrible values all across the board. But the one thing they got right was when I showed up as a 12-year-old awkward kid, they welcomed me and were glad to see me and told me that mm. I had a place in their community and that God had a plan for my life. And at the time, I interpreted it like that whole experience as 
a getting saved moment um, that tied with this message about Jesus and heaven and hell and all the good stuff. Mm. Um, I had a moment one Sunday where I went down an aisle, prayed a prayer, and then really just committed to being a part of that community. And from that point forward, um, I was kind of 100% into this Christian thing, whatever it meant. Um, and so I would go home and spend every waking hour watching Christian television and started a blog when I was 13 called the gospel according to Brandon and like (laughs) was just doing the thing um and there's so many details uh between then and now obviously but really as I went through that path I felt called at a very early age to be a pastor because I wanted to be like the leader of that community yeah uh, who cultivated that space for me and that led me to go off to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago uh, to study to be a pastor. And frankly, it was those four years at Moody that changed everything for me. Um, For people that might not know, Moody is kind of one of evangelical Christianity's flagship college institutions Mm -hmm. uh, for people training to be ministry. And it's in the heart of downtown Chicago. And so I always make the joke now that it's just such a terrible strategy for Moody because I would be in these classes learning fundamentalist theology, learning that Muslims were evil and that the Catholic church was the great whore of Babylon. And then I'd walk out the door and be surrounded by this incredible city where I could walk into Holy name cathedral four blocks away Mm. and witness the beauty of a Catholic mass. Or I could take the uh, Brown line up to Devon street, which was this beautiful Muslim community and watch Muslims during the call to prayer, all bow and sink in this very beautiful, profound way. And I kept having those experiences in Chicago and then going back to the classroom at Moody and being like, my experience isn't lining up with this thing that I've been believing and what you are telling me to believe. And, um, and really I did the thing that I shouldn't have done, but I'm glad I did. Uh, I started a podcast uh, and uh it got on the student campus radio network. And so I started interviewing heretics, essentially, people that our tradition said were false teachers. And so at the time, it was people like Rob Bell and Brian McLaren. Even N.T. Wright was, yeah. So I would interview them and just wanted to learn about their perspective. And as I started doing that, um, I got some emails from the dean of students. And he Mm. said, hey, we need you to come in and talk to us. And I ended up six meetings over four years going in. And every time it was, you're talking to people that are unorthodox. They don't align with our theology. And Mm -hmm. if this is the direction you're heading, one, you're not welcome in our school. We're going to expel you. And two, you're not a Christian. You're being used. I mean, the language of demonic and devil and all of that. And that kind of fear reaction that I experienced caused me time and time again to go back I mean, really devastated, thinking that I was just being honest, following my own curiosity, trying to ask honest questions, and I was being penalized for it. And it made me wonder, why am I a part of this religion that is so rooted in fear when I look at Jesus and Jesus, if anything, is fearless in the way he interacts with people that are different Mm. and fearless in sitting at the table of those who the religious folks around him thought were outsiders. Um, And that kind of led me on the beginning of a deconstruction journey. The other side of it is of of course I was, I'm gay and I was struggling with my sexuality then and Moody Mm -hmm. made me do conversion therapy for a year, which did its own number on my face. So when those two things, 
Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I was I got lucky because it was just meeting with an ex-lesbian professor once a week to talk about the dirty thoughts I had about the same gender instead of some of the more intense stuff that people have gone through. But sure. I mean, those two things coming together of you're a heretic because you're asking questions and we're going to expel you. And you're saying you struggle with your sexuality. So to prove that you're actually a good Christian, you need to go through conversion therapy. Wow. By the time I graduated, I knew that I couldn't be a part of whatever this thing I was a part of for the past 10 years was. And uh, that was my real deconstruction moment of just like, I want to give it all up. And the thing that kept me was this profound sense of calling. Like I want to be somebody who teaches people and leads people in thinking about spirituality, but how do I do that? If I'm not an evangelical, I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And we can talk more. Uh, I'll stop rambling for a second, but uh that leads me on a journey towards discovering different ways of being Christian. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I love that. I, how many, so then how long after that did you find yourself in San Diego being a pastor of a church? Yeah. I mean, on one hand it was a quick journey, but it felt like a lifetime. Um, mm. I moved back to Washington DC again, not knowing what I was going to do. And the life events that happened from that point forward are, I, I can't explain why they happened. It really, uh, without maybe pointing to God, if you believe in that way, like it's just a complete random series of events. But mm. I got called by some Obama White House staffers when I moved back to DC because they had read my blog. Okay. And <laughs> they said, hey, we're starting this new campaign. We're teaming up with Republicans and we're doing a campaign called Evangelicals for Marriage Equality. Mm. Okay. And seen that you've done some blogs about this uh, and we wanted to ask you if you would be our national spokesperson. And I was wow. like, I don't even know what the hell that means. Yeah, but okay. right. <laughs> uh, and the next thing I knew we were, they had me write an op-ed and we were in Time Magazine announcing the launch of this small organization of progressive-ish evangelicals who said we support civil marriage equality, but not theological marriage equality, that you can still believe it's a sin to be gay, but you should support the civil rights of mm -hmm. LGBT people okay. to be married. Yeah. So it was a very nuanced thing. Mm -hmm. The next day, the Southern Baptist Convention wrote a counter op-ed oh in Time Magazine, uh, condemning me as a heretic and condemning our organization as this uh, liberal kind of Trojan horse trying to infiltrate. And that threw me into this public spotlight that I wasn't looking for at the center of this debate between evangelicals and kind of the LGBT movement. Wow, yeah. Rem as a reminder, I'm not out of the closet yet. I'm still right. uh, wow. straight presenting. Yeah. At the same time, I had gotten a book deal my uh, junior year in Bible college to write about kind of my journey as a nomadic evangelical. And I turned in my manuscript for the book around that time with a Christian publisher and they wrote me back and said, hey, we love your book. We love what you've been doing, except you need to sign the statement saying that you condemn homosexuality. Otherwise, we're not going to promote your book. Oh my gosh. And they had just seen all the press about evangelicals for marriage equality. Oh, my gosh. So I wrote back and I said, hey, I can't do this. You know, I can't do this. And so they ended up canceling my book deal. Oh, my gosh. And a Time Magazine reporter found out and she released an article that accidentally outed me publicly to the world. Um, oh my God. <laughs> so we had this great relationship and she said, Hey, we're going to publish this story. I want to give you some time, but I'm going to tell the truth about you because at the time I was 
kind of inching my way towards being out. I was in DC, which is a very gay city and had lots of gay friends. I was kind of feeling my way into coming out. And so she said, hey, you'll have a month or so before we publish this. Do what you need to do. The next morning I woke up. She was going to do it like she was saying, this is happening. Get your ducks in a row. Yeah, get everything figured out, basically. Yeah, and it... it sounds cruel. I actually, I really love this reporter. Uh, she's great. And it nothing was ill-intentioned, I don't think. No, I think, sure. uh, but it was just like, hey, you're living this lifestyle. We're a reporter. We've, we're going to tell the story truthfully. Right. And so it's coming. Yeah. The next morning, her editors hit publish and I didn't know it. And oh. so I'm sitting with some friends and my phone is blowing up. And I look down and there's a link to an article and the headline is young evangelical leader loses book deal after coming out. And well, <laughs> that, was that is literally month ever. Right. I, that's how my mom and dad found out. That's how oh everyone found out. And of course, because of the evangelicals for marriage equality thing, the next thing that happened was a wave of, Albert Moeller and the Southern Baptist Convention and the National Association of Evangelicals and every professor at Moody writing me letters and posting on the internet and doing oh, radio shows my gosh. condemning me, which wow. obviously this was kind of the final nail in my evangelical call. Yeah, I was like, how traumatizing. Yeah. And thank God I was in DC because mm. this is a progressive city. It's a gay city and the progressive faith movement in the city is very strong. And so at the same time I was getting all of that hate, dozens and dozens of pastors and organization leaders reached out to me and said, hey, we're here for you. We support you. You can be a part of us. And I didn't even know really that this progressive world existed as robustly as it does. Mm. And so they invited me in. Um, I got a new job working for a left-leaning faith-based organization and eventually went off to uh, a liberal seminary that fully accepted me as, as being gay, uh, moved to Denver to go study at ILF School of Theology. Mm. And really, those three years getting my master's of theological studies, I was planning on coming back to DC and doing faith-based organizing. But Donald Trump gets elected. Oh, and obviously, the demographic of DC's uh, job market changed very quickly. And so I was left with like, oh my God, I'm graduating seminary. I'm not going back to DC because there's no jobs for me there. So what am I going to do? Is Denver a, like an affirming city? I don't really know Denver's like. I mean, the marijuana has helped a lot. And (laughs) (laughs) also Denver has become, I think it, over the years I was there, it became really a hub of progressive evangelicals. So Mm -hmm. there are three big churches, uh, Highlands Church, uh, Denver Community Church, and Left Hand Community Church are these three. Each have like a thousand members, which is huge for progressive churches. And yeah. they, it became this hub for uh, progressive evangelicalism. So it was really great for me to be there. But I just started looking around and like, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, and thankfully, I had met a guy who was reading my blog. He pastored a church in San Diego. He had just left his church and they were hiring a pastor. And he reached out and said, hey, if you want this, it's basically yours. We love you. We think you can, you would do a great job. So I interviewed uh, for Mission Gathering Christian Church in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And some for some reason, they hired a 25-year-old newly seminary graduate to come in and be the lead pastor. And that led me to this 
almost four year journey with an incredible community, um, really getting to reconstruct my faith in real time, but also mm. with this community, ask, what does it mean to be a progressive church? Why are we doing this? Like, and ask all of those questions with a really cool group of people. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's wow. That's a lot. Um, yeah. that, yeah. Wow. So when your parents found out when through the article, how, yeah. how was that? I mean, you, you weren't raised in religion. That doesn't necessarily mean that they were affirming. So what was that reaction like? Totally. So, I mean, my parents and they're okay with me describing them this way, but I would say that they're kind of, at least growing up, they were kind of rednecky conservative. Like that's, mm-hmm. if you look at my dad, he's very, uh, he, when I was born, he was the kind of person that joked about trying to get me in a biker gang or put me in the clan in like oh my really that kind of world. Um, and so they weren't conservative, but I knew they would be at least a little weird about it. And yeah. honestly, I remember I called my mom. I remember I was standing on the corner of 15th or 14th and I street in DC, called my mom on the cell phone and said, Hey, you're going to get on Facebook. You're going to see this article. And I said a very dumb line that I hesitate to even repeat, but I said, it says that I'm gay. It means that I could fall in love with a man or a woman or an animal. Aww. It's a thing I shouldn't have said, but it was yeah. out of nerves. Yeah. Anyway, she was like, listen, I don't care what any of that means. Like, we're, I'm just here to support you. And it was really lovely. My dad has also been supportive. He's quiet. He's not very outspoken about anything. So hmm. even if he's uncomfortable with any of it, he doesn't really vocalize it. And so it's really been fine. And I've been able to bring partners home and all of that good stuff. So I've been really lucky in that regard, hmm. especially now pastoring so many LGBT people who have the exact opposite experience of that. Hmm. Yeah. At, at what point were you able to really establish your personal reckoning with that? Because I can't imagine with so mm-hmm. much publicity and constant other people's opinions and having to constantly present yourself and and fight arguments and and change people's minds. Like, was there a moment where you actually got to sit with it yourself that it was yeah, out in the world and that you presented differently to the world now? That's a great question. Um, and again, it, it might sound cliche, naive or dishonest, but like this, the public nature of my faith over the past 10 years has not been anything I, on one hand, intentionally sought out. And yet it's been the constant reality in some level. Like, And so I think in the past two years of the pandemic, I've really done a lot of grappling with, hmm. I don't know, I, I present myself to people. It doesn't, like, I'm not triggered or and I don't feel like I have trauma around any of this stuff I'm able to still talk to very conservative Christians and I'm able to still do all of this stuff but I you're I hadn't really had any time until the past two years especially the past year not being a pastor to actually sit back and be like holy shit like what did I go through the past 10 years what just happened to me um and I think I'm still in that process honestly uh Mm -hmm. it's been a really existential crisis of a year and not out of it now, but like, I think slowly trying to create this church thing and play around with, um, play around with what it means to be Christian, what it means to be a pastor, all of these things are ways that I'm trying to work out my own healing. And, uh, and yeah, we'll see. I hope my hunch is that because I'm now surrounded by so many incredible progressive people and supportive people that that is in some sense, my healing and processing, 
Um, yeah. But I've also spent obviously a lot of time over the past few years uh, doing the good work of therapy and yeah. and all of that good stuff too. It's just so I, I feel like that's because not only was your actual identity brought out into the world, but your identity as a Christian, which mm. as you explained yourself, saved you. And I don't know if you meant specifically saved your salvation or saved you from your current circumstances, but I feel like no matter what, when your identity gets wrapped up in that, when you lose perspective from other people on yeah. on what you've been trying to put together your whole life as your identity, what you've self-identified as, when you are stripped down to like, you don't get to claim any of that anymore. Like that's mm-hmm. how was... How, it's abrasive. Were, were you able to, was there a switch that happened for you? Because it sounds like, it sounds like you kind of jumped straight into progressive Christianity. But I, I, I know from personal experience being on the road as a Christian music artist, um, that when you lose your, your Christian title for me, when I lose my drummer title for you, maybe when you lose your theologian title, at least in the eyes of some that, that sits you, you you just kind of sit there for a minute and and for me it's been a lot it's been a long season of of I don't know what my direction is I don't know what it is that I'm supposed to do in the world and like what was it that way for you or did you get to immediately pivot into trying to build something for those that identified with you yeah that's such an insightful question um so the truth is, I mean, struggling the past year of not being able to say I'm a pastor has been the hardest year of my life by far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like my identity since 12 has been Pastor Brandon. And then to walk away from a church and to kind of be in this place where like I talk about one of the reasons I left the church was because I saw this digital opportunity. And that's true. The other reason is when the pandemic started, I started spending a lot more time in my backyard at my house reading and being (laughs) like, I don't believe any of this. What in the world? And like, I had the most progressive church. They would have believed and been happy with anything I would have said. And part of me was just like, I don't know if I can keep doing this this way because it just doesn't make sense. And so, I mean, there's always this resistant part of me that even though everything says I'm not a pastor anymore, like I'm clinging on to that title in some ways mm. uh, for better or for worse. I don't know. We'll see. But like, I mean, currently my full-time job is I do digital media and social media for nonprofits. And it's like, mm. even today in a staff meeting, I just started this job this week and they keep asking me to introduce myself to people. And I always refer to myself as, I'm formerly a pastor. Um, like I can't get away from it. So yeah. I think I'm right in the midst of what you're describing. Um, and I mean, I think part of the truth that I've also discovered in the season is I want to be a pastor. Like yeah. as much as I people want to take that from me and as much as I felt in the past couple of years that maybe I shouldn't be doing this, like screw convention. I don't need to fit into any mold of what I thought this should look mm. like. Yeah, uh, Let's just do our own thing. And if people want to come and join along, great. And if not, who cares? I'm just going to keep doing my thing on TikTok or Zoom or whatever. And yeah, so (laughs) I'm wrestling with all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get that too. I mean, similarly with the artist thing, I mean, that was my, like you said, since you were 12, I was also an artist since I was 12. And so Mm -hmm. 
it was in 2020 when I had that really hard year of being like, I'm not out there. I'm not touring anymore. I'm not with the band I was with anymore. I'm not putting music together anymore. I'm not backed by my family anymore. Like I'm not, all of that was gone. And yet still somehow I'm like, but I'm still an artist. Like even without all of that, aren't I still? Um, And so, yeah, I had that, I don't know, reckoning, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, um, and now I'm in a a much, just to give you a little bit of like hope, I guess. (laughs) Um, I'm in a much like healthier place with that because Yes, I can say I was formerly an artist, but I also think, like you said, like it doesn't really matter the conventional ways like someone might describe an artist or a pastor or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I still would consider myself an artist because I love to create and I love to share. And yeah, I use right. Instagram and blog and this podcast and my whatever, anything <laughs> to to do just that, to create and to share. And to me, that's being an artist. And I think you, similarly, you can do those things and you can be a pastor. I really appreciate that. And I I just think the thing, and I think it reflects on the toxicity of evangelicalism, is that for all of us, right, there's this evangelical industrial complex that prepares you to be a thing. And there are wealth and fame and bells and whistles and like all of that. And I think... I've really been wrestling with and like there are layers of privilege to this and all sorts of things. But like my this death of this identity for me has been tied up in I was promised that I was going to get to be a pastor at this really big church. And I was promised mm-hmm. that I was going to get these kind of uh, book deals or whatever. Like it, there's some really toxic part of I think what evangelical culture perpetuates about its worship leaders and what its pastors are that entices people in not because they're actually in it for ministry, but because this is the way that you get to climb a ladder in the same way everyone else in the world gets to do it, but in this very concentrated religious sense. And I think that's part of the area I'm probably cynical around and need the most healing around is like, I was sold on pastoral ministry Mm. and Christianity because it was tied to capitalism and mm. this terrible ethic of like working really hard to get to the top of the ladder and being able to like my pastor still to this day drives around with a private driver and flies on private jets and Jeez. like it's terrible stuff but uh there's a lot of reckoning i feel like i still need to do with that false version of christianity that i was sold on and i think what i'm discovering now whether or not i identify as christian is definitely more authentic, well-rooted, Christ-like version of seeing and being in the world, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's just hard to, no matter good or bad, when you have goals and ideals like that, the the inspiration that it brings you is still real. Like when you're stuck in those spaces and when you're subjected to those toxic beliefs, it coming out of it, it doesn't change the reality that that was, that was a dream for you. And that's still a broken dream at this point where you're like, well, what replaces that? What replaces yeah. the aspirations that I had to be a person who was in, in worshiped in that kind of way? What, what replaces the dreams of being a person who could live comfortably, who has the ideal life, who has access to ease and comfort and, 
and luxury. Um, right. And and I'm sure moving into spaces that are now digital um, rather than personal, like you don't there there isn't that same level of of guaranteed of of yeah any sort of guarantee that you will ever be recognized as as somebody who's doing something important in in a theological space and that can be challenging and granted you know you can get on social media like you said and you're you're finding success in tiktok spaces and and stuff like that where you can find validation and credibility in the work that you're doing but i think yeah. I think I'm I'm mostly curious about the community aspect of mm. that, um, right? Because you moved from a place where you had people around you, and and what is mm. what has transitioned for you in this move to a digital space? What does community look like for you now? What does it look like to build up the people around you and to be built up by your peers? <laughs> Hey everyone, want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. Yeah. Yeah, so much insight both of you have. Thank you. Um, And I just, yeah, I think two things. First, I'll say on the other side of these dreams dying, on the other side of this deconstruction, what I am finding in our community of deconstructionists and ex-evangelicals and whatever else we want to call ourselves um, is <laughs> I've discovered that all those bells and whistles and things that I was promised as kind of uh, the young evangelical aspiring pastor mean, this sounds cl- so cliche and almost biblical, but they mean nothing compared to the kind of relationship and community that I've been able to form over the past six years through pastoring at Mission Gathering and now pastoring uh, digitally, because there's a level of authenticity. There's a depth of, of, uh, I would say, conversation, but also just connection with people that I never, ever experienced in all the years that I was involved in evangelical Christianity. And even in a digital space, the reason I felt bold enough and brave enough to step out and be like, I... I can leave a brick and mortar community was because there were these deep relationships that I think, I think we all experienced this at some level, right when the pandemic happened, everybody was terrified of zoom. We all kind of rolled our eyes at the idea of zoom, but about six months into it, when I was having Bible studies that went for two or three hours on Tuesday nights, which was something that would never happen Mm. in person ever. uh, And yet I'm connecting with these people from all around and we're, sharing our lives and we're like really getting into some real stuff. I was convinced that this virtual reality was going to be the way that things are going to be forever at some degree. Um, And as time has gone on, I think we all can see very clearly that at Mm -hmm. some level, the future is virtual. We're always going to be in person. We're always going to travel in person, blah, blah, blah. And we're always going to still have this virtual sense of reality and the connection we make in this space can be just as meaningful, just as powerful. Um, And yeah, I mean, the thing that has held me through the past two years from being completely depressed (laughs) has been, uh, I've been doing a Tuesday night Bible study every Tuesday for the past, uh, since uh, February, 2020. Um, And I've brought together and gotten to meet people from all over the world 
who have become dear friends and um, have really become supportive to me and I get to support them. And it's, I don't know what to say other than that, that community was something I hadn't experienced in a church space in a really long time, even when I was pastoring a church. And before that, when I was in seminary and I was part of churches, there's a level of depth um, that has formed through these digital spaces that I think made it worthwhile for me to step out and do this. And my hope in the church that we're creating going forward is that it's not just a show that you get to turn on on your laptop and watch somebody do a church service. I really want to cultivate an experience where people are connecting to people that they didn't even know existed. That's the big thing is that in the deconstruction community, I constantly hear people saying, I didn't know that there were this many people going through this set of challenges and rethinking our faith in this way. And once they find that, it's one of the most gratifying things to watch people connect to others in virtual community and be like, oh my gosh, yeah. I had that same experience. The same thing I described in my really long-winded story. Like, we all have almost very similar uh, narratives to what I went through. Like, we all have those moments. And I just think it's really powerful. And I'm really excited to be in this space in this season. It's it's cool how you can kind of distill experiences like that when you're in digital spaces. We had this um, beautiful conversation with another digital pastor, uh, Kevin Garcia, and they were talking about how um, there's an intimacy that you can have in online spaces in a different way than you can in person because I feel like so many people prioritize um, physical interpersonal relationships more than they value online relationships. But I I feel like there's a cognitive dissonance with people that that talk about it in that way because I think similarly those same people would describe keyboard warriors as someone who has bravery because they're behind a keyboard and I one of the kind of things that we were able to talk about with Kevin was that there is an ability to be more vulnerable online because there is there is an opportunity to have a medium between you and talking to and receiving the response of another person. And I think the the move toward these digital communities in a place that is working through these really challenging feelings and um, shaking up the groundwork of a lot of um, fundamental beliefs, I think there there is a need for people bringing people together, distilling these experiences and and saying, hey, look, here's some people that are have gone through the same thing that you're going through that are very similar to you, that are experiencing similar hurt and pain and growth and joy. And, and we're all able to connect here. You can show your face and you can connect or you can be completely removed and just share and just speak and hear. And, and I think digital churches and digital pastors and communities that are able to just hold each other in these spaces that are a little bit disconnected if you want them to be and deeper than you could ever imagine in person if you want them to be as well is just such an important move for for theology or for you know any sort of questioning or or faith changes yeah yeah i mean it really is in some level like 
the Reformation coming to its logical conclusion. In the Reformation, there was this big upheaval against authority structures and and people being barriers to the truth and to God. And yet the reformers then kind of replaced that with their own versions of barriers and and structures in your way between you and God. The digital moment we've gone through, I think one of my mentors was a woman named Phyllis Tickle, and she wrote, every 500 years, there's a major reformation. And we came up on the 500-year mark in 2017. Wow. I think we're really going through what she was prophesying in some senses wow. that we went through this digital revolution in the past two years and the barriers to access are gone. Yeah, That's what I loved talking to churches right when the pandemic happened because the one thing I was harping on for everybody was that your little church on the corner that's a progressive church with 20 people now has the same access that your local mega church with 20,000 people has to the world. Yeah. You can get on on Sunday morning and reach the same amount of people. You don't need the money or the technology. We all can do it. And this TikTok world that I've lived in for the past two years, it's so liberating for me to see people, anybody can get on and begin talking about their deconstruction journey or their religious trauma or how they've reconstructed their faith. And thousands, millions of people will hear this story and have an opportunity to begin thinking in new ways or get inspired to take a step out beyond their toxic mm -hmm. community or whatever it is. Like we're in a moment where I don't think we can properly understand how momentous it is religiously, yeah. let alone socially. Um, and, and I just, I hope that what you're doing here, like I think podcasts are part of this. I think all this digital content is a part of creating a new way of being spiritual where the barriers are gone and where everyone has equal access. You don't need somebody with a degree anymore to be your pastor because Google has far more theological education than mm. I do. And <laughs> anybody can do the reading and learn. Like, yeah. it's just an incredible moment. Mm. Well, something that seems a little bit like pulling back on history a little bit is physical books, which <laughs> you have one yeah. coming out next month. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing over the past 10 years, I've become a completely uh, writing addict um, mm. that has replaced most of my therapy, honestly. Um, mm. And so... During pastoring, during the George Floyd era, and even a few years before that, just throughout the Trump era, I continually was confronted with the question of like, how do I explain to the white folks in my congregation what privilege is? And a whole bunch of other topics around inclusion and diversity and intersectionality. And so yeah. um, one of the ways that I ended up talking about privilege was using the example of Philippians chapter two. There's this famous kenosis passage that says, Jesus was in the form of God, but did not consider equality with God something to be exploited for his own benefit. And when I read that, I was like, that sounds a lot like mm -hmm. Jesus had a privileged position, God, but he didn't use his position of privilege for his own benefit, but he gave it up and took the form of a servant. And mm. I started thinking through that for our congregation. Like, how do I talk to the white folks or the straight folks or the uh, able-bodied folks about Jesus being our example of emptying himself of the privilege he has for the good of others. And so anyways, this new book called Filled to be Emptied, A Path to Liberation for Privileged People came out of a couple of months of sermons I preached at our church where we just really tried to dig into these topics in a way that people who weren't uh, 
generations of people who weren't as uh, woke as a lot of us who are connected to the digital world are. Like I, I wanted to explain it to them and for them. And this book is really meant to be a resource for that generation of people to say, like, let's use Jesus as our example. Let's use familiar theological language as our example yeah. to talk about privilege, implicit bias, and how you can become a participant in the dismantling of uh, the systems and structures in your world that are oppressing others. And so it's my shot at that. Uh, and I'm excited to see how uh, folks end up reacting to it. Yeah, well, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really excited for you. Um, is this your yeah. first, this is your first book published? This is book number eight, actually. Oh, my bad. <laughs> That's a far shot from number well, one. Well, <laughs> I went on, I, I went on your, uh, what is it? Do you have a link tree or something in your Instagram? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I went in the, on that and I just, I, I guess I must have missed the other books because I, I had just seen pre-order this one. No, totally. No, it's all my good. Bad. <laughs> no, you're so good. <laughs> so, okay. So how, how does this, uh, line up with the other books is this like does this feel like it's um like in line with like okay here's the next like sort of lesson or is it completely a standalone yeah really i mean i wrote my first book which was kind of a spiritual memoir from fundamentalist to progressive evangelical and then since then i've written the rest of the books have been essentially short guidebooks for christians on various issues that i think we need some help talking about. So I've written two books on LGBT inclusion. I've written one book on kind of intersectionality and what inclusion means through mm -hmm. that lens. Mm -hmm. um, I've done two devotional books that are meant to kind of combat toxic masculinity and like be an alternative to the evangelical men's devotional. Cool. And then this book is kind of in line with that. Uh, and then I'm working with my agent right now to write really the the memoir of this craziness that I've gone through for the past mm -hmm. 15 years or so. And I think that will be in my mind, the turning point where I kind of get to be out of, I've been in this space of writing for the church to mm, the church. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of done with that, frankly. And yeah. so uh, hopefully filled to be emptied. I, I hope it's a great book, but it's kind of my last book that's really targeted at Christian churches and mm. hopefully talking to people beyond that now. Mm. Good for you. Yeah, though, I, I mean, we so, I can so relate to that, um, to that notion um, we've been having conversation after conversation, actually, um, about with so many different people about how do we, as people who have paved some sort of way and put out some sort of content over years, could be three years, could be 15 years, basically publicly documenting our deconstruction and helping others navigate it how deconstruction is not a place where you land. Like, I yeah. mean, it's a journey. So how do we... <laughs> how do you end how the narrative? How do you end that, especially in this time where it's this is relatively new. We're in a new time, a new era where on social media, we have these platforms that are about this, essentially, essentially just a season of our life. How, how do you go about ending that yeah how do you go about without saying i'm done catch up to me if you're not where i'm at you know like without yeah. that sort of energy um because that's the last thing i think any of us would ever want is like for anyone to feel like there was some sort of landing pad yeah. or whatever um and so yeah I, I i definitely understand what you're saying totally yeah and i think 
I think there really are two answers to what you're talking about. I think one, for some people, and I, we've, we all know, I'm sure, uh, former Christian creators who have just come to the place where they're like, hey, I'm, I'm tapping out, I'm done, and like I'm going to go live a very different life that's disconnected mm-hmm. from this past that I've been a part of, which yeah. I think is fine, and I admire a lot of those people, honestly. And then I think there's another group of us who, for some reason, are wired in such a way that, like speaking for myself, I'm just too obsessed with religion, with Jesus, with like, at least for now, I can't Mm. foresee myself completely disconnecting. And so I'm going to keep playing in this. And the one area I feel like that I can still be helpful and so many of us can still be helpful is, and this is how I thought when I was pastoring in a physical church, like I was not an Orthodox Christian, but if you listen to most of my sermons, even today, I sound like a pretty orthodox christian and i'm using that narrative that language for the people that are just entering the deconstruction Mm. process to help guide them more gently than i was guided towards a healthier way of deconstructing and so that's how i see myself right now and that's how i'm justifying my existence in this religious space it's like i've gone through the trauma now i've gone through i'm essentially an agnostic still like Jesus, and I still know how to speak fluent evangelical. And so mm-hmm. maybe I shouldn't just give that up. Maybe I could use that in some positive way to to guide folks towards a different way of uh, being Christian. And on TikTok, that's really what I try to do. I speak a lot of language that I wouldn't talk to my friends uh, with that same kind of language. I wouldn't articulate my own beliefs in that sort of language. But yeah. I'm seeing these young people who are 18, 19, 14, whatever, getting exposed to a different kind of Christianity and not just by me, but by the hundreds of other uh, creators on there. And that's just really inspiring to me. And so that I think is where, that's where I'm at. I don't know where the journey ends, but uh, that's where I'll be spending my wheels for the next uh, foreseeable future. I love that. Amazing. Well, speaking of TikTok, I know our followers love to be able to track with the people that we have conversations with and are lovely enough to come on the podcast and share their stories with us. So where can our followers find you on all of the social medias? Yeah, uh, the easiest way is just to go to brandonrobertson.com and that site has a link to just about everything I've ever done. But uh, but then I also, of course, spend ungodly amount of time on TikTok under Reverend Brandon Robertson um, and really clinging onto that Reverend title because it pisses <laughs> off the conservatives. So yeah. Uh, so I would love to see some folks over there. Awesome. Amazing. Well, um, you heard it, everyone. Um, make sure you go follow him and enjoy his content and get his book filled to be emptied that comes out next month, which is so exciting. Um, and yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, we love you. Until next time. Bye. Bye.